Welcome. Well, this is Healing Centers, and we are back with David Wingo and Cam Smith. We're going to get those guys introduced here shortly, but we're really excited. It's a good episode on grief and journey through grief. Uh, so hang tight. Let's get started. From our studios in Nashville, Tennessee, this is Healing Centers, a podcast where we talk to experts and leaders in wellness, mental health, physiology, fitness, nutrition, and any other topic that helps us get through the day with purpose and through our life with long-term success and health. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and please give us five stars wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit our website at www.healingcenters.co to share feedback, suggest future episode topics, and find out more about the people on our podcast. That's a long intro, but we like, we like it. We like it. All right, so Allie, I'm going to let you lead, but let me go ahead and just learn more about these guys. Um, David... What is your, I was joking before, your Wheel of Fortune intro, just real, like, because we're going to get to know you today, but what is your short sure. uh, intro? My name is David Wingo. Um, I'm from Nashville, born and raised. Um, I live here in Brentwood with my three children and my wife, who is also a Nashville native. She's a travel agent, and I sell radiology equipment. We uh, travel quite a bit, go to the lake. Um, I like to fish with my son, and uh, we just spend a lot of time with family. And I'd like to buy a vowel. Please. <laughs> Cam? Yeah, I'm Cameron Smith. My wife, Justine, and I live here uh, in Nolensville, actually, with our three boys. I grew up here as well. Uh, actually, David and I went to high school together. And uh, I am a political attorney by trade who has ventured into media, and I'm a syndicated columnist as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I was just thinking, it's so crazy. All four of us are Nashville natives. That's so rare now. I'm pretty sure that's the first time four Nashville natives have been in a room in years. Yeah, there's a joke here somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, there is. I don't know what it is. Should we have a secret handshake or? We should. Well, it is the Nashville secret handshake. Yeah. Don't pretend like you don't know what it is. It is kind of an anomaly, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't think so, but I guess it is. I was thinking about that. All three of us went to the same high school, and then I realized, oh my gosh, you went. You grew up here too. He was a Hillsborough kid. Mm. It's, we talked about you had, some, Hills, you had yeah. some Hillsborough legacy or your family does yeah. my yes. dad went there my father-in-law went there mm-hmm. and uh, my nephew and niece is still there now so yeah actually want to go back by and uh, check out the new building it's beautiful mm-hmm. I drove by this morning it's <laughs> compared to the Hillsborough of my oh, childhood please, which please. we called the house that Russ built because yeah. my dad was a big basketball star there uh-huh. but uh, he'd always drive by and point at the gym but yeah, it's beautiful. They've got a big like public transportation station out front where the buses come and says what time. There's scooters out there. So, yeah, but why did, why didn't they do the bus thing first? You notice that is the very last thing they did, oh. and all that construction and traffic was blocked up for like years. That's so true. It was yeah. obnoxious. It was that obnoxious. Crazy. All right, lead us. Yeah. Well, I think um, so. I know Cam and David from. Um, high school, but they were several years older than me. And I thought about, um, yeah, right. I got to let y'all know. Well, I'm just saying I'm not in y'all's. I wouldn't like buddies with you guys. That's what I'm saying. Um, but I thought of them when I was writing about some grief stuff, because these two men, um, have done an incredible job in our community of being honest and vulnerable about what grief is. And, I think a lot of times that topic feels really scary or um, like it should be only talked about in certain 
rooms. And these two men have been so amazing on social media and in different communities about what that journey is really like. And there's no doubt that it has changed my life and so many other people's life without them even knowing. And so um, they were the first two people that came to mind when I thought about what I would love for people to hear about what this journey is like. And when they both said yes, it felt That's like it's true. I can win. attest to that. She brought y'all's name up like in her first meeting. Mm-hmm. It's true. So um, with that being said, I know that's kind of an ominous way to begin, but um, if you guys could just tell us a little bit about what life was like growing up and um, kind of how you became so much of who you are today, these men that really stick out among thousands of people that I follow on social media, um, you guys stand out and kind of how that, how you were created into that person, so... Can you speak to that? Yeah, whatever you want to throw out there. Go, Dave. I'll go first. Um, I had a wonderful childhood. You know, I've been really lucky, like, throughout my life. And uh, my parents were both always there for me. My dad coached every possible team I was ever on. Uh, You know, my mom taught Sunday school. My dad taught, you know, adult Sunday school at church. You know, we never missed a Sunday. Uh, We had a big family. Some here, some, my grandparents lived in Crossville, so we'd, we'd go up there some, but, you know, I lost a grandmother when I was 12, who I was extremely close to, and that had an Im- a big impact on me. It was kind of like my first loss that I'd experienced, and I tell you, from then on, you know, it, I'd had it pretty good, you know, and, and you never know, but childhood was great. We grew up in Green Hills until I was like six, and then we moved out uh, near Brentwood, where we lived through high school, and I went to... Percy Priest for elementary school, and then my parents sent me to um, to St. Paul for middle for you know mm-hmm. fifth and sixth grade, and then I went to Brentwood Academy. You know, I mean, everything was was handed to me. I had a, a really great life. I mean, we didn't have a ton of money. My dad worked really hard uh, to make money in the food business, and my mom was a stay at home mom, but she also painted, and she's uh, somewhat famous around here for her artwork, and still works to this day. You know, a couple of days a week uh, painting and. Uh, had an older brother who bullied me until he went to college and then wanted to be my best friend. Did you get bigger than did you grow up bigger than him and uh I'm probably more rotund than him. <laughs> we're you know, but he he's the older brother. So if you get in a fight with your other older brother, they are fighting for their life. Yep. Like you can't lose we're way to the older brother. Yep. So I think I threw a shovel at him in high school. We were working in the yard and he came at me. And we were, we got in a fist fight, and my dad and grand, my grandfather was over for dinner, and my dad and grandfather came out on the porch, and I think they watched for a minute before they stopped us, but that was kind of our last, our last big fight. Yeah, I launched that thing. It, it stuck in the ground like right next to him. I don't know if he remembers that. There was some pent-up frustration there. Yeah, but, um, you know, we, we you know played sports and video games, had lots of friends, and ran around, and I mean, I really, I had it good. I, I can't complain about my children. Mm. My parents were outstanding and uh you know later on in college and stuff my mom and I didn't get along some and but dad was always the constant I mean even until he was gone we talked on the phone like every day Hmm. every and yeah I talked to my brother that much too and uh yeah so yeah childhood was wonderful I, I couldn't have asked for more that's why people move to Williamson County basically they think they're gonna be guaranteed that childhood that's pretty amazing yeah I mean it's what I feel like my kids have, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, they have it better than I do. I mean, my son has like 
you know, there's like 20 boys that run around our neighborhood all the time. So that's why we're here. That's why we moved out here before we had kids when we could mm-hmm. still afford it. Um, we'd probably be in, I don't know, Cookville or <laughs> somewhere. If you had to Tullahoma, buy right now. Yeah, somewhere not near here. But uh, yeah, I, I love my community. I, I'm, I'm so lucky to have friends across generations. People like Cam who, you know, you know, we, we don't talk for a long time, but then when we do talk or we do message, it's stuff that matters. And uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's we're I'm blessed beyond measure. I hate to use the word blessed, but that's that's where I am. Yeah, that's so. fair. What yeah, I, I think my story is very similar. You know, I'm the child of an Alabama football player and Miss Vestavia Hills. Um, and it was sort of, I, I guess, the American dream. In the sense of growing up, I mean, everybody came to our house. I mean, my parents had an open door policy. Like, you could just walk in, even if you're not, like, a family member. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I would come home, and there would be strangers literally taking a nap in my bed. Because (laughs) my parents were just like, hey, people, like, we love you. Like, we want you to be a part of our lives. Because that was sort of always the standard is – you know, how can we serve others? How can we love them well? And my parents embodied that. Um, my dad, we even had a refrigerator in our garage that had like Gatorade and sports drinks and stuff. It was stocked. People just drive by and grab like a Gatorade. Like they wouldn't even come inside. They would just mean, grab a drink. Right. It was like these I did people. I that a few times. Yeah. These people care about us. <laughs> to his house? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like that's, I'm not joking. Like people now are like, well, True. what about crime or whatever? And my dad was always like, that's why we have insurance. Like, if people want to steal mm-hmm. something, like, they probably need it. So, like, that's okay. And that was kind of our, the model that was exemplified mm-hmm. for us was love well mm-hmm. and take care of the people in your lives. And we had tons of people that just, we loved them. They loved us. That was the community that my parents built. That was my norm. Like, the idea of isolation or the idea of being alone never occurred to me Mm -hmm. and it really it's not only what i grew up with but it's the model that sort of i follow now because it just it's the what i've known and to have two brothers and a sister who had their own networks and friends and there are all these people around i mean the number of people we know here now because we engage so many people is massive and now all those people have people They've had kids. It's sort of a generational thing. But my parents were always, how can we honor God with what we say and do? Um, The church was a big part of our community. The school obviously was, Brentwood Academy. Um, And and it really created this cohesive, what we believe is demonstrated by our lives and how we live, not just kind of what we say. And that was the model. I mean, my dad's my hero. We, you know, like David's saying, we talk all the time. It's an engagement that, you know, is a big deal. And even even when things are tough, my family sort of rallies around one another and rallies around our faith. And by, I think, the biggest lesson from my childhood, other than honor God with what you say and do, is that when you serve others and you love others well, then the burden on your shoulders is, doesn't seem that insurmountable mm-hmm. because you're not looking at you and all the things that are wrong with right, you. Right. You're like, how can I help someone else? And I married a woman like that who is probably to a fault 
what can we do for others? It's, you know, who cares what happens sometimes at our house? It's how can we serve? How can we help? How can we do? And, and that's kind of, that's the story of my childhood. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Y'all are incredible. But yeah, what amazing foundations that were built for you all um, that allowed you to be so much, yeah, of who you are today. Um, I know and, I was, and another thing, let me just jump in real quick. It was, we were, my parents, and it's probably why I've enjoyed some success as a columnist, was my parents told us to tell the truth hmm. and be honest. Hmm. Like, there's no, there's no pride in, or there's no value in just hiding. It's tell people, show people, and don't be afraid. And I came from a long line of Southern storytellers hmm. who, you know, knew how to communicate, and it just made it easy for me to sort of as an adult not hide the things that hurt, not hide the things that I struggled with because that perfection model, man, you want to talk about like rough to maintain. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't realize how, like David said, how good I had it as a child until my brother's suicide, how just pristine that environment was. And it was, it wasn't that we were trying to make it seem that way. Mm-hmm. It's just that it was kind of was. Mm-hmm. And then then we knew we then we were tested, right? It's like, do you really believe all this stuff that you say you believe? Hmm. Or, you know, when tragedy hits your family and everything goes wrong, now who are you? Yeah. Allie, how does that what does that mean to have a journey of grief without that family support? Uh if that Obviously, makes sense. Yeah, I mean it's so much darker, mm-hmm. right? And um you have to search so much more I think for the tools and the resources and what I really hear in both of you all and I think I see playing out in the therapy room and just in the world is how much more you question yourself and when you don't have that foundation. And you know, I think as parents it's such a balance between us knowing our role and the weight of that and also letting go and having radical acceptance over our children's lives really are so separate from our own. But I think you can never take away the power of the way I describe it in the therapy room as your parents are your pillars. And those two pillars, you need them to be steady and safe growing up. And when they're not you know, it's a whole different story and journey right. than what you all have had in the midst of hardship. Your pillars stayed steady. And, yeah, how incredible that is. It doesn't make so, grief any less. but it, No, it, it but gives you've you got t- a pillar. you got more tools in your... Yeah. So I know I want to ask more about the specific, and you know, um, moments of grief for you all. But I don't know if we want to segment first. Oh, that's a good idea. A second. Yeah, can yeah. we take a quick break? All right. Yeah. Be right back. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Neuroscience and TMS Treatment Center, where we are excited to provide evidence-based mental health services by board-certified clinicians. We spend the time and provide the attention you need to get you or your loved ones well. We can help find your path to wellness with treatments, including medication, psychotherapy, TMS, and more. Visit us at www.hopeforyourbrain.com to learn more or to schedule an appointment. Make sure you let us know you found us on this podcast. And that was a commercial break right in the middle of an important subject. Sorry about that. No, I think that was good. I wanted 
us to kind of have a moment to transition. So obviously you guys have so much to offer um, to really the world, not just our community, just in who you are as men. But specifically for today, um, I was really hoping you all would speak a little bit to how grief has shown up in your own lives and your own families and um, how much I have thought of you all's response to that as you've grown into dads and husbands and community members. But if you could first take us into those first poignant moments of grief for each of you. Uh, yeah, I'll go first. Um, so, yeah, I haven't really, you know, talked about this too much like I'm going to now, so we'll see how, how it goes. But on uh, February 13th of 2019, I received a phone call from my mother in the morning and uh, dropped the kids off at school. I was going about my day, just like another February day, and she said, hey, you need to call your dad and check on him. Mm-hmm. And I immediately was like, What? I've never checked on my dad. Mm. And, you know, like he constantly, he traveled uh, to like the East Coast and the West Coast. He was in corporate produce sales, which is weird. It's like a farmer in a boardroom. But <laughs> he uh, he was amazing at what he did. And he, but he traveled a lot. And he had a really high-pressure job. He made a lot of money. And, you know, he's getting near retirement age or whatever. And I, and I knew that he'd struggled with some, ad- some addiction issues in the past, that, like when I was a little kid, like, I don't remember any of that, but we, he, she calls and she says, you got to call your dad. So I called him. He didn't pick up. I was like, all right, no big deal. I guess he's having a bad day. My brother calls and he's like, Hey, have you heard from mom? She told me to check on dad. And I was like, yeah, what's going on? So we met for breakfast and he was like, I'll go out there and see if I can find him. He's probably on a conference call or whatever. So we kind of go about our day and things we know we can find him like everybody's looking for him and i don't know if we want to get this deep into it but basically like you're good six hours later my brother found him and he was gone yeah. and uh you know we were we were searching for him we found his car and uh it was just amazing to like see somebody like fall off a cliff mm. you know it's like and i and i thought back and i was like man i hadn't heard from my dad in a couple of days and I looked back at a text and he sent me some huge lobster tail from Las Vegas the week before. And it was like thinking about you, bud. And that's the kind of ways we would text with mm-hmm. each other. And I, I said, Oh, wow. You know, that's awesome. And, but you know, he, he maintained this, you know, facade of, you know, being perfect all the time. And I, you know, I think we're, we see that a lot now with mm-hmm. folks that you think everything's fine and it's not. And so, you know, immediately like, my mother's there so my brother found him so I gotta go tell my mom so I run down this hill and I tore my meniscus on the way Mm. I get to my mother I get to tell her that my father has passed away and uh which is weird I've had to tell people like my brother had two friends die in college and I had to tell him about that so it wasn't something totally new to me but it was like and immediately there was all this weight on my shoulders and all these questions like oh my god like is there any money like, can my mom live? Like, you know, just all these things. And then, then the police show up. And I've got to go to the pol- with the police to the house to, you know, process through this, you know, like look for a note and, all, you know, all this crazy stuff. And at that point, I'm still not even able to, you know, process it in my own mind. And then, you know, I have to get on the phone and start calling coworkers and family members and, like, 
I spent like days. I think I was able to kind of compartmentalize myself. I was like down to business, mm-hmm. like because that's what my yeah. dad would have done. And th- since he's passed, that's all I can think is like I have to do what he would have done because he was like, it's just so weird that he that this is what happened to him because he was just the most amazing pillar of my life mm-hmm. forever. And you know, other things came and went, but he was always there. And, you know, to the point where, you know, there were times I didn't pick up his phone calls. It's like, Dad, you drive me crazy. <laughs> he just kept calling. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, you regret those things now, but I don't. I, I don't really have any regrets. And, um, you know, part of the reason that I try to communicate what I've been through is because I don't want it to happen to other people, but it also helps me to talk about things. and to, know. Yeah, I don't know if it's helping anybody. I think it is because whenever I say something, people will respond to it. And it makes me feel good. And it makes me, you know, hope that people don't suffer from the same things that I suffer from. But, you know, early on, I was just like, I just felt so isolated. I was Mm -hmm. like, I'm, I'm, you know, I lost my best friend. You know, I've, I've got all this stuff I have to do. You know, I got to do all this funeral stuff. And, you know, it's it's just, like, so overwhelming. Like, all of a sudden, I mean, it's, like, a beautiful day. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a gorgeous February day. You know, everybody's getting ready for Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. And it just, my whole world fell apart. And for a while, I was just, like, like depressed, depressed. And I think finally my brother told me, like, a month into it, he's like, dude, you got to post something on Instagram. Like, people are worried about you. <laughs> And I was like, okay, well, I will. And I posted mm-hmm. something. And I, you know, I, I said, you know, people think I'm depressed. And I said, well, I am depressed. Yeah. But, you know, it, I'd say it was probably two or three weeks into it. And one of my dearest friends, Matty Hargrove, I don't know if he called me or he sent me a text. And he just said, lean in. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what it took. That's to, a great word. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we had this commu- huge community around us that want to support you. But. You know, grief's a weird thing. Some people don't deal with death well, you know, mm-hmm. even when it's someone associated with them, they really don't deal with suicide well. Yeah. And I don't blame people for that. You know, if you don't, if I hadn't heard from you in three years, I, I'm not mad at you, but it's those that you do hear from and those that, that do reach out and try to share experiences. And it's like Cam, you know, we, we haven't seen each other a ton over the last 20 years, but, you know, he was one of those you know, really forces in my life that was there, you know, with a positive word or just to check in. You know, people just want you to know that you care about them. And I think that, you know, people don't want to make the call. They don't want to send the text. And I think you've always, you make the call. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking about it, do it. Amen. Because yeah, if you don't, that's huge. only bad things are, are going to come from <clears throat> or nothing's going to come from that, you know, but mm-hmm. you know, you, you've got to, you've got to be there for folks and, you know, everybody deals with grief at some point in their life. And, and sometimes you get a long run where you don't w- deal right. with it. And then it's, it's a grandparent who passes away or something, but you know, everybody is going to deal with something traumatic like this in their life at some point. And you need to have folks to lean on. And I know we talked earlier about people who don't have that. And I can't imagine not having that. And even just my children, I remember just like, I would just, I'd get home from something and I just want to lay on the couch and get pile my children on top of me, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to cry all the time. I mean, I cry in front of my kids. I cry anyway, I'm a big baby, but you know, it's, you've got to go through this, this, these steps. And I'm still very new to this. I mean, we just hit three years and 
you know, it's funny, we got to the anniversary and I was like, oh, I'm good. I'm good this year. And I woke up that morning and it's like, you're just reliving every moment of the day. And, you know, I'm being mean to my kids. And, you know, I had to kind of regroup and be like, look, I I thought I had this day. I thought I was Mm going to own it. And here I am being the person I don't want to be. And a lot of it's just self-awareness of what's going on, especially with parenting. You know, you get carried away with stuff. And it's the same thing with anger or sadness. You know, you just let yourself get wrapped up in it. And Your um, body just remembers, you know, even if you feel like mm-hmm. in your logic part of your mind, like we were talking about that picture of the brain before we started. Yeah. You know, you're, it's amazing how in that logic place you will feel good and then your body you have remembers the, same the event. The feelings that I had that day, like, will mm-hmm. come over me. And, uh, you know, it, it's hap- it happens with other stuff, too. We've had other traumatic events in the last couple of years. But it was just such a, such a shocking moment and such a devastating place for us all to be in. And it's like, well, what about my mother? Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I feel like I'm, I lost that day. Well, she lost that day as much or more than we did. And, uh, you know, lost her partner, you know, from – college and had been together forever it's like well how does she go on so it's just all these questions and all this way but really the people are what got me through is allowing people allowing myself to to talk to people allow them to talk to me and and just lean in and you know get a hug give a hug you know just be loved and um that's an amazing word is there Allie? is there something that a friend or loved one can say um to, well, to I mean, comfort I think, and you all will know better than I would the answer to that but I think it's so important to know that it's going to be messy and that mm-hmm. there isn't a way to clean anything up when it's I in think grief I've, I've literally opened conversations with I literally have don't know what to say right now mm-hmm. yeah. literally don't know what to say <clears throat> I say that to people now I feel like I know I mean I'm better at dealing with it now than I was before like dealing with other people um, but it matters. And, you know, like I wasn't there for Cam when his brother passed away because I didn't have to be like, we were out of high school. We just graduated and you know, it's like, Oh, well he has his own people, but now I wish I had. And, you know, I I feel like I need to be an advocate for other people. I need to help people. That's what my father would have done, you know? And uh, yeah, I've got a book uh, called healing after loss that someone gave me at a visitation. It's a little, daily devotional thing it's really i pick it up all the time it's just like it has each day of the year and it has a verse or something at the bottom and just a small devotional about grief and um, i read it one day and it it talked about taking time for your grief and it, it made a huge difference to me especially in those early months to like in the morning like i'd get up i'm always up first but i would cry hard and like try to try to get it out. I mean, not get it out, but like have that part of my day where I let the grief take control of me. Yep. I put it in, and now it's like, okay, let's get through the rest of the day. And it might hit me again. I spent a lot of time in the car. That first year was just brutal, being alone in the car with mm-hmm. my thoughts all the time. Mm-hmm. And it just ate me. I cried constantly. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like I wish I had a desk job or something so I didn't have to sit in the car for 2 hours a day. Yeah. But yeah, it was, you know, it's it's all that being alone, but it's those moments where, you know, someone might send you a text or, or give you a call. And you know, I f- I feel horrible for people who don't have that sort of community around them and it's like you say people lean on their church or or whatever. You know, we were 
I was just blessed to have people from, you know, my past, from current, you know, jobs. You know, that night after my, my father had passed away, I, I met with the police. I talked to his boss and coworkers. And I drove back to the house at like 11 o'clock. And my boss was sitting in the driveway. He lives in Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. And he'd been, wow. he was like, I, I'm going to be here. He's like, I got a hotel room. I'll bring you breakfast in the morning. And uh, that's incredible. That's awesome. Yeah. And so, you know, I can't, I couldn't have gotten through this without other people. And that's why I'm trying to be that other person for others. And it's still hard, you know, it's, it's hard to reach out to somebody when they're really struggling and you know what they're going through, but I know that it matters to them. So it's an incredible word to take. Do you, can we go to cam or do you want to, should we take a break for a second? Um, that's not, I'm just, it's, it's so powerful. I'm like, I, I know I've, it's hard. Let's take a break. Just, just to take a breath. Um, but that was a, that was a wonderful testimony. I can't, it's incredible. I appreciate it. Yeah. Hold on. We'll be right back. We invite you to become part of our growing healing centers community. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our podcasts on Apple podcasts or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Visit us at healingcenters.co for the most current social links and information. Share comments and feedback on our website. Let us know what topics interest you and what guests you want us to invite on the show. If you are in the healing business as a therapist, doctor, or other wellness expert, please let us know who you are and your specialty. We'd love to be able to connect our listeners to great professionals like you. www.healingcenters.co Follow us, join us, and grow with us. Okay, deep breath. Yeah. Sorry for the break. No, I think it's good to recenter. Mm. Thanks, David. Sure. I appreciate that. Yeah, I want to do like 10 podcasts on what you just said. <laughs> For so the record, David's mom stay. does amazing art that my wife is a huge fan of as well. Thank you. Yeah, so many things in the community that their family has impacted us through. But yeah, I want to be good about staying on target. Um, so Cam, can we <clears throat> kind of switch to you and your own story in this? Sure. Um So I'm in a little bit of a different situation than David in that it's been almost two decades um, since we lost my brother. And it is amazing just hearing him talk the moment he said, I got the call. Like, I, I immediately got emotional because I remember like it was yesterday, the moment I was in my fraternity house at Washington and Lee University and, uh, the quarterback from the football team, I played football there, came up and said, you know, you, you need to call your dad or you need to take this call. I, I don't remember the exact transaction, but I ended up on the phone with my dad and I could tell he had like a teary voice. And my dad's not a crier. Mm-hmm. Like he cried when Poppins, our dog, died. And maybe like one other time. It's not because he's trying not to cry. He just doesn't. And I could tell he'd been crying. And he, he said, your brother's gone. Hmm. I'm like, what? Like, where'd he go? What, what, uh, what do you mean he's gone? He said, well, uh, he took his life. Hmm. And hmm. he said, well, is he, is he hurt? Is he, like, I cognitively could not process that he was dead. Right. And I was like, well, is, what, is he in the hospital? What's going on? Is there a chance? No, son, he's gone. And... You know, my then girlfriend, who's now my wife, 
you know, was there with me. And one of the football coaches came and, you know, people were surrounding me, but I was just like, whoa. I mean, just blown, literally blown away the gravity of the moment. And I'm, I'm at college and I'm thinking, you know, I'm 19 years old. I, I got, I got to get back. How do I get back? What do I do? Do I book a flight? Um, two, two friends, uh, Jay Clark and Ruben Dickinson, uh, got on a plane. I don't even know whose plane it was, but it was a, a private plane flew to Roanoke, Virginia. My somebody, I don't even know who got me. I guess maybe my wife got me there to this. And I remember flying on this small airplane and it was sleeting and ice. Mm-hmm. And I could see the ice forming on the wing of the plane. And I was like, and we kept dropping and stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to die. And I didn't care. I was just like, this is, what is happening? And I show up. And they had taken my brother's body out of the house. Um, and I think mom had been at that point literally sedated. Mm-hmm. And... I I just kind of went up and like the serve pro people had been there and uh, they kind of cleaned up the scene, right? But there mm-hmm. was still like police stuff and it wasn't, and and I just, I was like, what? I, I mean, I it, because it felt oddly normal, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was my house. It was, I just came home and it was just kind of quiet and dark. And um, I, I guess I just never really thought much about it. It was just I'm the oldest. It's my job to check on everybody. You know, my parents were not in a condition to make decisions. And so, you know, as a 19-year-old, I got to make decisions like, you know, should your siblings see your brother's mm. body? Should you, you know, what do we, how do we want to, you know, bury this, do that? And it was it was overwhelming. Like I was in, you, you know, nineteen year old is equipped to deal with that. Right. No. And I, I was, I just remember like the switch flipped or something. Like David was talking about being all business. It was just like click. And ever since then, I've been able to click. Right. I've been able to sort of check out on the emotional aspect to get through what was ever was in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I did that. And. To the point where I enjoyed making people feel uncomfortable by making dead brother jokes. Like, and I didn't realize how awful and like mm-hmm. inappropriate that was as a young man, but it sort of was like a coping mechanism, right? right? And uh and I absolutely hated everybody that came to me and was like, they it it it's taken me two decades to understand the difference between sympathy and empathy. But the number of people that would come to me and be like, well, at least, you know, you have another brother than sister. At least, you know, your family is there. At least you have. And I'm like, every time somebody said at least, I, I just wanted to punch them in the face. Yeah. Um, because they, were, they meant well, right? And I knew that. But I'm like, you don't know how hard this is. You don't know what this feels like. It's like being burned alive from the inside. And I... We got Tyler buried. We had a large funeral. Um, you know, the gospel was presented. The truth, it was amazing at the funeral amazing. that my family, who has, like, just been deeply traumatized, is like, 
hey, you need to know Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, even for me, I got up there and was talking. I don't even remember what I said. I mean, it's on video, but I have no clue. Mm -hmm. Zero. And what I realized is that the people who had empathy, who were like, I don't know how you feel, but I'm going to try. Um, and I'm going to be here with you and who knew enough to shut up mm. just to say, I mean, that's how the difference when David's saying, you know, he didn't know to be there for me. I mean, we weren't that close in high school. We were friends. We knew each other, but you know, didn't have a deep relationship, but that's how I knew I needed to reach out to him mm-hmm. was because I knew the pain mm-hmm. and I could tell him, man, there are no good words. There is no, I'm not going to like converse you into feeling better. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be with you for a really long time. And, but I knew it and I knew that I needed to show up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of people miss is they want to fix. Mm-hmm. They want to, and, and people just need you to be there and know you care. And, you know, it's okay. You can bring them a casserole, just do nice things. That's part of our Southern culture that's really good is we tend to surround people who have traumatic events and grief. The problem is we do that for like a month. Mm-hmm. We do that mm-hmm. for like in the blast radius, right? <clears throat> But, you know, the one thing that I've realized about grief is it never changes. Like, you can cope with it and deal with it, but it, it does not go away. You don't just forget. Yeah. Like, I, my brother's, I have not heard my brother's voice in 20 years, and I can still hear his voice. Like, I remember the exact details of that moment of trauma, and it took me a long time to be able to kind of articulate this stuff because it just it was a lot for years my parents blamed each other for you know that my mom was like hey if you hadn't impressed him in athletics maybe he would have you know not that and none of that was true right but they were just trying to figure it out um you know my mom had serious depression and all kinds of stuff i mean was i mean a zombie she literally later in life was like i basically don't remember almost a decade and she and I thought she was just saying that to excuse bad behavior. Mm. And then yeah. she was like crying to me like, no, I just don't remember mm. it. It is not there. I can't. And I knew she was serious. And so I think the thing that I, it really changed it for me in terms of being there and talking to anybody about it was I wrote a column called My Brother's Suicide Deserves More Than My Silence. Because particularly suicide is really unique because it still has that shame stigma associated with it. And so I kind of was like, well, people have heard enough about it. They kind of know what happened. And, you know, I just, I don't want to burden them. I don't want to overdo it. I don't, I don't want to talk about suicide and mental health and grief to a point where I annoy people. Hmm. And I wrote that column and like it, caught on fire throughout the English speaking world. Mm. I mean, I had people from Scotland and South Africa responding and saying like, wow, like, sorry for your loss, but man, that really helped me understand. Mm -hmm. And from then I've been like, you know what? If people don't want to read about it, they can get over it. They can go find another article. There's plenty of stuff. But for the people who need to know that somebody cares about them, Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep going. And my sort of theme from that moment of grief has been, I want everybody, I want my professional life and personal life to help people understand that they are not alone. 
Like it, it may be weird and the person who's there for you may not be the one you expect, but you are not alone and you have value. And so that's a lot of what I do. It's amazing. Gosh, I mean, and you both do it so well. And to say that, I think there, you just, you, you articulated so beautifully with such courage that it's messy mm-hmm. after your parents' stuff was messy. <laughs> your own childhood and twenties were messy from it. Oh yeah. Um, and that it doesn't, I think that's so often why people shy away is that the mess is overwhelming and they want to bring the casserole, but they don't want to be in the mess. Right. And I think the Mm. beauty of being in the mess is there's so much beauty that comes from the mess. Oh yeah. And if you don't engage with it, you don't get to see that. And I sit here and I think about, your family and that house. And I was thinking about it this morning. The first young life meeting I went to was a week after Tyler died. Mm -hmm. And to be completely transparent as a 14 year old kid, it probably wouldn't have gone if it wasn't kind of that shock factor of what's going on in that house. Yep. And they're doing this. And I remember there were kids full in your in your bonus room. Yeah. Sitting in the hallway, sitting down your stairs because so many of us, we're interested and intrigued. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of all your parents' mess, they still said, come in. Mm-hmm. And I started a really important part of my own spiritual journey because of that night and because of what Young Life has been to me since. And I think you both have said, I've been sitting here thinking about how much I want people to feel and be equipped from this, both those that are grieving and those that have somebody in their life that struggles with depression or that feels isolated. And for that person, I think we just can't say enough. Your mind is telling you you're alone, but you aren't. And the wave that you feel of emotion right now, I can't tell you how many times a week I say it always crashes. This thing that feels intolerable, this tsunami that you're having right now, it's going to crash. And if I could, if we could all tell people that enough that it would make a difference, right? But sometimes it does for them to hear that that moment that felt so insurmountable to Tyler in his bedroom Mm -hmm. that night and for your dad in that park, like if they could have known that that wave was going to stop at some point. Um, It's easy. It's easy to let that thing like in Tyler's suicide note it was like i'm not fit for this world it's just it was basically like it's just too much and this is a guy that was a, looks like an abercrombie model was the captain of the football team mm-hmm. like mr everything had the family supports mm-hmm. and yet uh, the darkness that took hold of him mm-hmm. was extremely powerful and the one thing that i've learned in, in that sympathy empathy difference is Sympathy reaches down. Sympathy is like, let me help you. Empathy climbs down. I'm in the hole with you. Mm-hmm. Like, and that pain connection is extremely powerful mm-hmm. to the point where you need to be careful and mindful of it because when people have shared loss, when they know that you know what they feel or you can connect with it, then a lot of those barriers and the stuff we just kind of hold out fades away, Right. Like, I know that David has experienced something and will experience things in a way that other people may not, right? 
So our ability to communicate on that is at a different level. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where people who have experienced loss, in my mind, kind of have a responsibility to be available for other people that are going through trauma because those are the people that need it, that can can most benefit from your loss is the ones that are going through it because they can say, ah, you understand. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> you know, I, when someone dies, you know, you kind of join a club with people who've lost together and then people, maybe fathers who have had people who've lost their fathers and then this suicide club is really small and there's so many people that i know that i didn't know were affected by suicide brothers sisters parents those are the ones who who are really great at reaching out and staying in touch and it's it's such a deep connection that you have to someone you know like immediately just that you've been through something like that and uh is it is it like cam where where time can go on and and these you know kind souls We'll still reach out. Oh, you yeah. know, years down the road. I mean, I'm only three years out, but I, you know, I've got I have a great friend in Green Hills, and he lost his father when he was a kid to suicide, and he's 15, 20 years older than me, mm-hmm. but he's he's great about checking in. He remembers anniversaries and birthdays and that sort of thing, and I'm trying to do that for other people, you know, and I, you know, just to hey, I'm thinking about you today. And, we we uh, were at a traumatic event, and we were, you know, friends and trying to be well-wishers and things like that, and just talking to one of the case, I think it was a case manager. We were like, yeah, we really want to think what we can do. She's, and she was <laughs> cleverly said, uh, um, wait six months. You know, they've got plenty of help right now. Yeah. Um, you're really going to be needed then, which I thought was very powerful. Yeah, I mean, we our neighbors lost their son uh, about a year ago. And the next morning, I went. we went over and, and talked to him, and the dad looked at me. He's like, I'm going to need you. And I was like, for what? And he was like, you're, you're going to help me with this. And I was, it, it was like, wow. And I really, like, I was like, I'm going to have to help them. And, but, you know, I, it wasn't the month after, the two months after. Like, we're still there. We're always together. And it's our proximity, too. And, like, you know, the dad and I don't talk about it that much, but the, the mom and I, we talk about it constantly. Mm-hmm. And I know that there are people who, who won't come over because they don't want to talk about it, but I'm happy to face it head on every day. And I think that matters to them. And it's helped me so much to be someone who can, and, and I don't have all the right answers. I mean, I'm trying to figure this out, but at least I can try to say something. I think it's better to, to you know, say something. Or, and like you say, I don't know what to say, but I'm here and I'm happy to have a conversation. Um, You know, maybe we can figure some stuff out together or some techniques that, you know, help you make it through the day. And so, you know, I I think that death binds us more than we realize. You know, you think of it as a separating experience, but I'm closer with people now. Even even my, my best friend, Scott Copeland, he... Yeah, he knew that the 13th was the anniversary of my dad's passing. And so my mom likes to go out there. My dad always went to the cemetery to visit his parents and grandparents. And so I try to do that. And it's tough. And it's a weird, old-fashioned thing. And people don't like to do it. And I tell people, I go, and they're like, what are you doing out there? You know, (laughs) leave them alone. Right. But (laughs) so we, my mom and I went out this year on the anniversary very early in the morning. And there was a, a bouquet of flowers and a note that was there when we got there. 
And it was like, <laughs> I thought I was going to be fine that day, and it just destroyed me, but in the best way. Right. It was like, this is what I need. You know, somebody who's already thinking about me, you know, thinking about it up to the date and, uh, and delivers, you know. They, it's not just talk. You know, they're, they're going to be there. And so that's what I feel like I should do for folks, too. Yeah, and when you remember, remembering's a big deal. So the people that, it's not even necessarily on the anniversary of his death or birthday. It's just people that say, hey, I was over here and, you know, I thought about Tyler. Yeah. Um, because, like, those memories kind of help with the loss. Mm-hmm. I, I, I call friends, you know, one of my closest friends uh, we went to high school with and his mom died uh, when he was young and my mom kind of took him in. And, um, you know, I call and I just sometimes say her name just so somebody does and i think like that's that's the hardest part being so far removed from this is i still go to tyler's gravesite from time to time and kind of check on it and take my boys out there but it's the reality that you know memories fade mm-hmm. that you know my boys never met their uncle like, like we talk about it right. I mean, you want to talk about one of the most Difficult experiences in my life is explaining suicide to my children and talking to them about that and why someone would do that and why their uncle did that. And I I mean, excruciating. Imagine having little people in your house who don't know any better who are constantly like, hey, what about that? And they would just randomly bring it up. Mm-hmm. And I, I've learned that, like, that's part of the healing, too, mm-hmm. is I tell them about my brother. I tell them about our family and someday they may tell their children that. And it's when people have lost people, they love one of the best things you can do for them is just say, I remember that person because that's, I think a fear of a lot of people is they will forget and they will, their memory will be gone and then they are gone. I mean, I cried like a baby. What's that Disney movie? Coco. Uh, and it's literally about, yeah, it's about somebody's yeah. memory, like the memory of the person after death. And I was like, exactly. Mm-hmm. This is, I just want people to remember my brother. Mm-hmm. So he's not like gone, gone. Right. And so that's something that I think a lot of people miss mm-hmm. that talking about the person that's gone is one of the best conversation topics because I can have positive memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people don't want to talk about that stuff and like i love talking about my dad and i have friends who call me like man i was thinking about when we went to this game or whatever Mm -hmm. all the time and i love it and but i see where i'm in a group and i mention him or something and you can see people kind of back off you know because you brought it up talking about yeah he's talking about his dad his dad you know his dad committed suicide can't believe he's talking (laughs) about it it's like well yeah he's he's my dad he's always going to be my dad and i love the hell out of him Mm -hmm. And, you know, I see it with our neighbor, too, because I love to talk about him. And we're around people, and they're like, oh, they're talking about him. But but your memories of all the coaching and the sports and the snacks after the games or whatever are the same as your friends, right? Yes. And and I I made a conscious decision when this happened. And I've struggled with it, but I was like, I'm not going to be mad at my father. Because what happened to him was not – it wasn't him. It wasn't like the true – his true self – you know, he, I don't know what happened exactly. I don't think I'll ever know. You know, we don't have a note. We don't, you know. Sure. So to me, like, I was like, I'm going to always stay positive about him. And I always will, you know. And 
I will never say, how could you do this to us? And that may have popped into my head at one point or, sure. or how could you do this to my mother or whatever? Who, what, what happened was not my dad. My dad didn't want us all to suffer like this. Sure. You know, I mean, in whatever state of mind he was in, he thought it was going to be a better place maybe, you know, for, for whoever, but he obviously was not, you know, being himself. And so I'm not mad at him. I don't hate him. Um, I hate what happened. I'm mad about what happened. You know, I wish I was on the phone with him instead of sitting here with you guys. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that was a big part of it too. I mean, we were so close. Like we talked all the time, like about work. And so like, I'll sell something and I'll like, I used to always call my dad. Right. Like, Hey dad, I closed a deal today. Right. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Those are the times where it's, it's tough. It's when you want to reach out, you know, pick up the phone and, and call or, you know, birthdays and he was at everything, you know, he was always, you know, at all of our events and he, he needed to have another 20 years you know, he was a, mm-hmm. he wasn't old. He was 65 years old. So, um, it's just, I feel like we've been robbed of our future together right. and all the things we'd planned to do together and, you know, graduations and that sort of stuff. Yep. Weddings. And it's interesting to hear David say that because I think that's another thing to remember is grief manifests totally differently from individual to individual mm-hmm. where he's saying, you know, I didn't blame him. I mean, I remember my mom saying, and this wasn't right after the fact, it was years later saying that, well, maybe it's good because if he hadn't have committed suicide and put us through all this, I would have killed him anyway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, again, that was part of the grief. She has processed that. She does miss her son deeply. Absolutely. But it, it's just never the same, right? And so mm-hmm. having the grace to just, you know, when people are going through different things to be like, okay. Yeah. And not be like, actually, here are the correct steps of grieving. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> right. You need to know this, this, right. and this. And people do that all the time because they want to be helpful. And they're like, well, actually, you're in this stage. Right. And I'm yeah. like, actually, you should shut up. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, and I, and I actually had early on some counselors that were, they, they were going by the book. They were doing what they thought was right. In a formula. But I abs- I'm like, I don't know you. Mm-hmm. Why are you talking to me? And I quit. I was like, I'm not going to talk to you. Yeah. I don't want to talk to you. And I don't want to play your stupid games. And I told them all the right answers that like mm-hmm. I thought they wanted. And they gave me some medicine. And I just, just was like, I'm not going to take this either. Mm-hmm. And what I really needed was folks to kind of just say, hey, you know, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. And we're here for you. But like I would go out in, in college in the darkness in the Blue Ridge Mountains in the middle of nowhere, I'm talking, can't see your hand in front of your face. And I would scream at God. Mm-hmm. Just be like, we did all the right things, man. Right. Mm-hmm. We did not deserve this. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't deserve this. Mm-hmm. And I get emotional because the response back that I got in the darkness was, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Mm-hmm. And just... That God is big enough for my grief. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I just remember that moment. Mm-hmm. And that's when it kind of switched for me. And I was able to talk about it and engage it because I realized that God had not forgotten me. Mm-hmm. And and it's that kind of thing that people need to understand is that you're not forgotten. No. You're not alone. And God didn't abandon you. No. This was not some grand scheme to punish but what I know now 
and I can kind of come back to, you know, reality is, you know, God prepared me with something that I would never wish on anyone. He prepared me to engage some of the darkest places. I mean, I worked in federal politics. I mean, I, I've worked and been in rooms and places with people who did not know Jesus, who did not, who did not know right from wrong. And a lot of the time I'd realize that it's not my job to come with the hammer. And it's not my job to be the righteous warrior. It is my job to see who you are and know that God loves you because he loved me enough to get me through this so I can love you. I can work through this stuff, and I can do it in a way that's profound. Mm -hmm. And it hurts every time. I hate writing about my brother's suicide. I hate talking about it, but it is one of the most powerful things that God has used in my life to connect with people that need salvation so powerfully. Mm-hmm. And and that's it. Like none of the other stuff really matters. It just doesn't. And I think for me to have that singular focus and make that sort of my life's mission, it's been weird because I've had some great professional opportunities that I passed up. I've had a lot of other things that I'm like, no. Because this is what I need to do, and it is sort of a hard road to go. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's what our world needs. They need people that say, I'm here for you. I care about you. You can kick and scream and yell and do all the things that make you unlovable, and I am still going to stand here, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be there for you. And and that, I think, is not just how we heal individually or how we heal our communities. That's how we heal the whole world. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I see and comment a lot on the world and what's happening and politics and stuff like that. Like, the fundamental issue um, is that we are broken. Is that, you know, everybody thinks it's the other guy. Like, the other guy's fine. I'm broken. They're not. I am. I'm alone. I'm isolated. And so we lash out. And all, all of these other negative things manifest because of that pain. And so because of the extreme pain I've been through, I can see through the fluff and be like, I see what hurts you. I'm here for you. What do you need? Mm-hmm. And man, that's a game changer. It is a game changer. I mean, like we so beautifully already talked about kind of what we had said about how they have been changed men because of their grief and how they father differently and engage with their community because of that. And so I don't even feel like we really even need to explore that. But I think I was thinking about, as both of you spoke, something that I say when I first see a patient, when they first come in, and I always give them like a 15-minute kind of spiel on me, let them settle in a little bit. And one of the things I always say, and I think it's, I notice it kind of turn people every time, is I'm going to be your container And you can get as big as you need to get in here, as big as you're going to get, even if you don't want to get that big. I'm going to hold it. And there's nothing you can bring in this room that's too big for me. And I think when you all talk about isolation and when you talk about people reaching out, it's people who can look at it and say, I don't know what the F we're about to look at together. (laughs) But what I know is I'm going to sit here with you. And it's not going to get too big for me. The thing that feels way too big for you right now, I'm going to tolerate the discomfort of that. And that's all I can bring. But how affirming that both of you have said, that's all I wanted. I didn't want the 
eight steps of grief and somebody tell me which one I was in. I didn't want anybody to tell me at least and try to give me this ray of sunshine. I just wanted somebody to sit with me and to say, like, this feels terrible, but I'm going to make sure you don't have to feel this terrible feeling alone. Um, and so I hope from today we can get both. We've gotten so much today that we can get both for the griever and the person that feels like they're stuck in a moment of grief that's never going to go away. That how we as community members, as people in this world can show up is to just say, I see that darkness and it might scare the F out of you, but it doesn't scare me. Even if inside it does scare us, right? We can sit there with them in it. And so um, you two do that so beautifully. And it's not a, I hope I can be that for other people. It is, you have been. I don't know either one of you all personally. And you have changed me because of how you show up. And so thank you all so much. This is a really hard, vulnerable, spiky, triggery, all the things thing to sit in. And the fact that you all did that is such um, an amazing gift. One of the things I'd throw out there just real quick, there was a guy who sat on my brother's bed with me like right after he died. It was a guy named George Landolt. And George said, you need to take a long, soft look at yourself. Mm. And just if you're going through grief, if you're going through a painful situation, the one of the worst things you can do is hammer yourself and just give yourself the grace to say, hey, I'm going through a minute. Wow. And, you know, I, I want everybody listening that if you hear nothing else, mm-hmm. take a long, soft look at yourself and give yourself a room to breathe, room to grieve, room to do what you need to do to take the next step. Mm-hmm. Gosh, what a wise word. What a gift. Yeah, and I don't want to cut you all off if there's anything else that you feel pressing or... No, you know, I trust your gut with that. I heard someone say recently, I think it was in the Olympics or something, and they'd lost someone. And they said, when you're walking through hell, you keep walking. You know, you don't stop there. And that mm-hmm. I identified with that. But I think that, you know, to go further, like it's a lot easier to walk anywhere with other people with you. And, you know, if, even if they're just there to sit or to, to be there with you, you know, I think you've got to come out of the other side. You know, you can't stay there forever. And it's tempting. Like, in the early months, it's like, oh, I'm going to be like this the rest of my life. But, mm-hmm. you know, and it's easier said than done. But I had to pick myself up off the ground. I had to take care of my family. You know, I had to make sure everything was, was going to be okay. And I had to take care of myself. Right. You know, I can't, you can't let your whole life go to hell because of one thing that happened. And it, it, it happens. People get stuck in that moment for a long time, and I see it. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just, if you're going to get out of it, it's much better to have somebody there to hold your hand and, and you know, put an arm around you or even carry you sometimes mm-hmm. if you need it. Yeah. Amen. Guys, thanks for, mm-hmm. it's awkward to stop because you could keep talking forever. It is, but, yeah. Um, Allie, I think, what, can we put some resources and links Absolutely. for anybody who is struggling with that grief today. or anything similar Yeah. Uh, uh, um, in the link to this podcast? And Cam, David, thanks for sharing. Thanks You're for welcome. showing thanks up. Thanks for having us. My pleasure. Um, it was a it was an honor uh, to have you guys here. Absolutely an and, honor. 
Um, I'm going to go ahead and sign off, <laughs> but it's not that we don't have more to say. It's just time. But um, thank you again. We invite you to become part of our growing Healing Centers community. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Visit us at healingcenters.co for the most current social links and information. Share comments and feedback on our website. Let us know what topics interest you and what guests you want us to invite on the show. If you are in the healing business as a therapist, doctor, or other wellness expert, please let us know who you are and your specialty. We'd love to be able to connect our listeners to great professionals like you. www.healingcenters.co. Follow us, join us, and grow with us.